We are going to continue our series in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, read for you the first 12 verses. We are actually looking at the core values of the kingdom. Okay, and what is commonly known as the Beatitudes. It's actually the introduction to a very important sermon that Jesus preached, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the introduction where he gave us the core values of the kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, you can go with me now to Matthew chapter 5. I read for you the entire uh, verse 1 to verse 12. Then we unpack those values. Now, I hope that by the end of the series, you would have, you would have been very, very familiar with the Beatitudes. I'm going to read it for you week after week, so eight times, but then you memorize it, okay? Here we go, Matthew chapter 5 from verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And this is what he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, I pray that this, this morning, you give us hearts that are open to receive, so that your word will transform us from the inside out. I pray, Lord Jesus, as these values of the kingdom are being uh, unpacked, that, Lord, you would speak to us personally so that we can walk out of this place knowing that we just have not just heard from uh, the voice of a man, but we've heard the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking to us. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In our last session, we look at the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the bankrupt in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the rule and reign of heaven. And I told you last week that this was the key that unlocked all the other Beatitudes. Why? Because it is only when we realize our total need for God, our utter desperate need for Him, then will we pursue Him. Then will we seek after Him. Isn't that right? Uh, unless you actually see a need for God, you won't even Think about wanting to pursue Him. And this morning, we're going to move on now to the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The word mourn in, in, in the Greek, pentios, literally is a, a word used for generally, for grief, lament, cry, wail, if you like, agonize. Okay, blessed are those who mourn. And Jesus, if you, if you look at it, it's actually quite um, ironic, you know, because what Jesus is literally saying is, happy are the unhappy. Isn't that right? Happy are the unhappy. Blessed are those. If blessed means happy, then happy are those who mourn. Happy are the unhappy. But why, why is that so? I think it's very clear from the context that Jesus was not talking about earthly sorrows here, but he's actually talking about godly sorrow. And I will flesh that out for you as we go along. Now, first thing we need to understand is that there are, the Bible actually talks about different types of sorrow 
And let me outline them for you. The first is what I would call natural sorrow. Natural sorrow. Now, these are things that happen in life that actually can bring sadness to our heart. They bring sorrow to our heart. For example, the death of a loved one, uh, a separation from someone close, or, or simply disappointment, tragedies of life, even the death of a pet, right? Your dog died. You should sorrow. Do you? Hello? You understand me? <laughs> Many of you don't have pets, right? Okay. Uh, I now have a pet, so I understand, you know. Then, you know when my dog is four years old now. I know I've got another four, ten more years with him. You know, I'm not looking forward to that day. But, you know, you understand? Every, there are natural sorrows. And there is truly no blessing in such situation. In fact, it will be a legitimate time for grieving. It's a legitimate time to sorrow. We see an example of this, for example, in Acts chapter 8, verse 2. Right? When Stephen, the first martyr of the church, died, what happened in Acts 8.2? It says, Godly men buried Stephen and they mourned deeply for him. That's natural sorrow. Abraham wept when his wife Sarah died. David wept when his rebellious son Absalom was killed in battle. He wailed. Uh, Jeremiah wept when, when his city went into captivity. Uh, Jer uh, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Remember that? Now, Jesus also cried at the tomb of Lazarus. To me, mourning is an act of love, right? Because you love something, because you love someone. So when that thing is taken away, when the person is taken away, you mourn. It's, a, it's, an act, it's actually a, a, an act of love. It's a, it's a sign of acceptance. It is a means of healing. Every time something tragic happens and we mourn over it, it's a means of healing. It's a release of pain on the inside. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we should, the last thing you, you want to say to someone who is grieving at a funeral is, don't cry, don't cry, he's in a better place. Don't say that. Let him cry. Let him cry his heart out. Let him pour out all of his sorrow. It is natural. There's natural sorrow in life. Now, the only difference for us as believers is that when we go through such sorrows, it is not without hope. That's all. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 13. Listen to this. Paul said, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, in other words, those who died, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who had no hope. You see, all of mankind will grieve under circumstances like that. But the difference between us and the rest of the world is that we do not grieve like the rest of mankind without hope. But we grieve, but with the hope inside. We have this blessed hope that Jesus will come back again. And when He comes back again, He will wipe away all of our tears and we can be reunited with, with, with our loved ones in His presence. That's the difference. Is everybody okay? Number one, that's natural sorrow. And all of us go through that. Here's the second one. It's worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is referring to sorrows that are not rooted in repentance or just in natural circumstances, but they are rooted in regrets. The focus is not so much on the fact that we have offended God, but we are now facing the consequences or the outcomes of our wrongdoings. Uh, one way that the Bible differentiates it, the Apostle Paul differentiates it in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Listen to this. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow, he makes the contrast here, 
Worldly sorrows brings what? Death. So can I put it this way? Natural sorrow can bring healing. Uh, worldly, godly sorrow brings repentance. But worldly sorrows brings destruction. See? Worldly sorrows can cause one to actually turn inward and begin to wallow, you know, in our own self-pity. Uh, we begin to turn inward and we wallow in ourselves. Uh, and most of the times I find that Worldly sorrows are often rooted in things like guilt. Because we are guilt and we turn inwards and all we can see is, it's all my fault, it's all my fault, it's all my fault. Or sometimes it's selfishness. We turn inwards and we say, it's not my fault, it's not my fault, it's not my fault. There are others who go, it's because of fear, it's rooted in fear. Oh, I'm in trouble now, I'm in trouble now, I'm going to have to pay a price. You know, and then you die, 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 die. So that's the kind of attitude you get. That's the posture you have. You turn inward, you wallow within yourself. Driven by all these negative emotions, worldly sorrow is what caused many people to dive into coping mechanisms. And some of these coping mechanisms include a disassociation with reality. We're no longer in touch with reality. And we just go inward and we wallow within ourselves. We isolate. Some, some, some cope by going into addictions. They drink. They, they, they take drugs and things like that. Some is uncontrolled anger. Others can lead to psychosomatic illnesses because we have taken, we have chosen to turn inward and allow ourselves to wallow within ourselves. And I think that is damaging. And the, what the Apostle Paul says, worldly sorrow rooted in guilt and selfishness and fear and all of that, they brings death. Okay, so natural sorrow can bring healing. Worldly sorrow brings death. But the one that the apostle, that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, I believe is godly sorrow. It brings repentance. Godly sorrow. This is a sorrow that is rooted in the recognition that we have sinned against God and we have hurt other people. And it comes with a repentance. It, and this is through repentance, then we are able to receive God's forgiveness, God's mercy. So, such sorrows will then bring with it the blessings of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 2 Corinthians 7.10 again. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. And it's not by chance that this uh, beatitude of mourning is a second beatitude after poor in spirit because it is one thing to acknowledge our brokenness. It's one thing to realize our need and, 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 and uh, our spiritual bankruptcy, but it's another thing to be able to grieve over it. It's another thing to be able to, to actually experience that, that anguish inside. And, and that's why and another way to put it would be, it's one thing to confess with our mouth. It's another thing to feel the contraction in our heart. To be deeply saddened. To be grieved by our wrongdoings. And this is something, and this is what brings a breakthrough. It's what brings, it comes to repentance and it leads to salvation. Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 is a very important beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And 
And when I observe what I see in the scriptures, I look at my own life and I look at people around me, I've observed that there are two common ways in which God actually allow us to mourn. Okay, and let me outline those two ways for you. The first is through crisis. Okay, God actually allow crisis, situations, tough times in our life to actually bring us to a place of recognizing our own spiritual poverty and then mourning, feeling the pain of it. Uh, crisis is one. I, I like what someone said, you know, crisis is when we see who Christ really is. It is through a crisis that we can actually see who Christ really is. How many of you agree? Happy times teach us less than hard times. Right? Happy times are great, but they don't teach us deep lessons of life. It is in the tough times that we really learn. The deepest lessons of life are learned in the crucible of sorrow and suffering. That's where we really learn. See, I love this story told about two little boys went out into the garden to play, and then they come across a little cocoon, and that cocoon, that little butterfly was trying to squeeze its way out, and then the two little boys look at this and they say, huh, such a hard time. So they tried to help the butterfly along. So they took a pen knife, slit it into two, and the butterfly fell out. And after that, they got to conduct a little funeral for the butterfly because it cannot survive. Why? Because the laws of nature demands that that butterfly must squeeze through that small hole, go through that tight spot so that the wings can be stretched and so that the moisture can be squeezed out. That's the only way for the butterfly to survive. Now, in the same way, the laws of, of God requires that we go through tough times, we go through tight situations, we go through hard times, trials, testings, and all that, so that the muscles of our faith can be stretched. And the draws that is in our life, the impurities in our life can be squeezed out. How many of you agree with that? And it is through those tough times, it's through those tests and crises that we really see who Christ is. And that is when we actually grow and we actually learn. And I think it's so important to understand that, that God actually allows it. And, and Paul, the apostle, actually tell us in Romans chapter 5, verse 2 to 4. Listen to this one. He says, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in the trials, the testings that we go through because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character results in hope. What Paul is saying here is literally this. We should rejoice in our suffering because our sufferings, our tests, our trials will ultimately produce perseverance, character, and hope if we respond to it correctly. If we respond to those crises and testings correctly, it will result in hope. It will result in character. Now, one very important principle I just want to... Um, walk you through this, okay? Now, I know that we all love to learn biblical principles, don't we? That's why you come to a service, is so that you can hear the Word, and, you, and you, you go attend a seminar, you go family life courses, for what? It's so that you can glean spiritual principles for your life. Am I agree? Yeah? Everybody agree? Now, spiritual principles, we all want to learn, but principles will remain principles in the head until it becomes a truth in our heart. How many of you agree? It's one thing to know it, it's another thing to actually get it as a truth in your heart. Okay, and truth must become, principles must become truths. Truths must become a conviction 
You know, it's one thing to know the truth and then you have a belief, but it's another thing when that truth becomes so internalized, it is now a conviction. And once it's a conviction, it's very different. For example, if you are convicted in your heart that you need to not neglect the gathering of God's people together, then you will show up. Every Sunday you show up. Why? Because you are convicted in your heart. It's not just a, a principle in your head. It's not just a truth in, in, in that you, you embrace to be biblical, but you actually are convicted about it. And that means no matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard it is, my children is crying, when I, I got to prepare, I got to do this and that, you show up, rain or shine. Why? Because to you, it is not just a truth I embrace, it is a conviction that drives you. If you totally believe and convicted that when I worship God, I must worship Him with all my heart, then you know what? It will drive you. So that every time you're so convicted, that every time you get up and every time the music starts, your hands will go up and you will go all the way. Why? Because it's a biblical conviction. Are you with me? Conviction then drives us. See, and once that conviction becomes a deep-rooted one, it will become part of your character. Now it's no longer what I do or believe, it is who I am. And for that reason, because I am totally convicted, you know, that when it comes to, to worship, I, I am either all in or I'm not there at all. That's why when music starts, I guarantee you, no matter what everybody else do, my hands are up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. Why? Because it's no longer just what I do, it is truly a part of who I am. I'm a worshiper of God. Are you with me? And your character will then determine where you end up. It, be, it determines your destiny. But here's the thing. Principles can, this whole thing only works at this point. Principles we can learn, and we're all learning. But the principles must become truth. How does principles become truth? It is through a test. It is through trials. It is through sufferings that we actually allow principles to become truth. For, take, take for example, many of us believe, right, that the principle is my God is able to supply all my needs according to His riches in glory. We all know that. We learn that principle. But if we are not willing to take a step of faith and actually sow, not willing to take the step of faith and actually give and tithe and all of that, we will never know God as our provider. We know Him in principle, but we will, it will never become a truth or a conviction that drives us. Now, many of us believe the principle, we must forgive those who sin against us. But the very next time someone offends you, we revert to our old ways and then we retaliate then you know what? You will never experience the freedom of forgiveness because you, you have not allowed that principle to become a truth. It, that becomes a conviction, see? And principles only become truth when they go through a test. But if every time we are put to a test, we back off, right? We, 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 for example, in another example, we always believe God will never leave you nor forsake you. We, we know that. But the moment we are alone, we quickly run to someone and cry for attention. Then you know what? You will never learn the truth of God's abiding presence in your life. We will never have the character of Christ if we are afraid to mourn 
and then we back off every time the test comes. But if every time a test comes, you just back off, you take an easy way out, it will never become truth. And until truth is internalized, it will not be a conviction. Uh, only deep-rooted conviction can become a part of who we are. It's a process that it needs to go through. And brothers and sisters, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. We go through those tests and trials and we, born, we, we, we mourn. And it means to ache, to groan, to grieve, to agonize, to wail. And uh, you and I prepared to let God mold our character in the crucible of suffering and crisis. May God help us to do that. One way is crisis. God allows us to go through it so that principles become truth. Okay, the second is correction. One way that God allows us to moan, crisis. The other way is correction. You know, when you take a piece of sponge, you don't know what's inside, right? Until you squeeze it. And then what's inside will begin to come out. It is when you and I go through moments of tough times and pressures and all of that, the we will begin to know the stuff that we are made of inside. Until you actually go through it, until you actually go through those times of mourning and testings and trials, we don't know the stuff that we are made of until it's tested. And sometimes God allows us to go through those pressures, to moan, to agonize, to grieve, to ache through correction, or if you like, discipline. You know, this has been brought home to me again and again through my own spiritual journey. In my own spiritual pilgrimage, I found that this is so, so critical. I need to be corrected, you know. Uh, several years ago, I, I received an anonymous letter uh, from, uh, can't tell you who because I don't know who the person is. It's an anonymous letter, okay. Uh, it's a long letter, anonymous, and, and it's a letter that really got me got me feeling really, really down. And the reason is because it was a letter that contained a very strong warning concerning my ministry. But because it's an anonymous letter, you know, normally when you get anonymous letters, we don't know what to do with them because we can't verify, we can't get back to the person, we can't really discuss and say, how did you come to this conclusion? There's no way to validate or invalidate it. And so typically what people do with, with anonymous letters is that we simply put it into the dustbin, you know, because there's no way we can follow through with it. But that, that as a general practice, uh, I, since we're on this subject, you know, on the, as a general practice, I want to encourage all of us that we should never have to resort to writing anonymous letters. We should have enough courage, enough love for one another, enough guts to actually speak to one another face to face. We should never resort to this kind of anonymous letters. But that day, when I received this letter and I read it, I was feeling really down. And then I asked the Lord, you know, Lord, why did you allow me to go through this uh, situation like that? It's so disheartening. I felt like I wanted to give up, you know. But the Lord spoke to me that morning when I got quiet before Him. And I remember what He said. He said, Benny, you preach about being poor in spirit. Preach about the blessedness of mourning. Now is your chance to practice it. So I decided to ignore the fact that it was an anonymous letter, ignore the method, and just focus in on the message. Now, I may not agree with everything that's written in that letter, but I went into a time of really seeking God and allowing, searching my own heart and allowing the content in that letter to, to speak to me. It was a time to mourn. And I can tell you this, at the end of that whole exercise, 
I experienced the truth of this verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In times of mourning, we learn deep lessons of life. In times of mourning, we experience the comfort of God. And sometimes when we receive a correction, it can come through God directly, or other times it comes through a human vessel. The important thing is this, we must be willing to allow ourselves to go through times of mourning because it leads us to the comforting presence of the Lord. And when we draw near to God in brokenness of heart, I guarantee you that God in turn will draw near to us and He will bring us His comfort. You know, I like what the Apostle Paul said, you know, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You know, the Corinthian church was, the church in Corinth was really messy. And the Apostle Paul, as a spiritual father, needed to correct them. So he wrote them a very strong letter of correction. But he knew that this letter is going to hurt them. And then I love what he said in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 8 to 11. Listen to this. He said, even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. In other words, he said, I know that my letter is going to cause you pain, but I don't regret it. I know I have to write to you. I have to correct you. Though I did regret it when I saw that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while, yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So you hear what he's saying, right? I need to correct you. So I write to you. I know this letter is not what you want to hear, but it, it can cause you hurt. But if that hurt brings you to a place of godly sorrow, then it is worth it. And, and this is why, brothers and sisters, we must, as a loving community like this, there is times for us to correct one another. Amen, Dad? Now, there are times when we need to be able to speak into each other's life. There are times when we need to lovingly tell each other that is not acceptable, that is not right. And then through that, we grow, we learn. But the bottom line is this, we must have the posture, firstly, to have that poverty of spirit, to be humble enough to say that I could be wrong. And then when that, that thing is pointed out to us, have enough brokenness to actually mourn over it and allow that to actually lead us to repentance. And through that, lead us to the comfort of the Lord. See, and this godly sorrow, I believe, is the result of the first beatitude, blessed are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When a person can see our own spiritual bankruptcy, then we realize our utter need for God. Then we will turn to Him. And when things are pointed out to us, we will be honest enough, humble enough to receive correction. If we are not teachable, and we keep giving ourselves excuses for our own lack and our shortcomings, then we will never grow. And that is why loving confrontation, I think, is a means of grace that actually helps us to grow. But the key is the posture of our heart. We remain teachable, we remain correctable. You know, I never forget uh, when I first started preaching. <laughs> I was very young. I think I was about 22 years old. And I first started preaching, very young, very enthusiastic, but not very, not very good at what I do. 
And the first time I took up a, a major speaking engagement was actually by a brethren church in Singapore, you know. So, uh, and this brethren church actually got all their people together and they called for a revival meeting. So they invited me to speak. Oh, I was very enthusiastic, prepared well. I went and I preached. And God was good because the, the, the Holy Spirit really moved among them. People were crying. There was repentance and all of that. I was feeling quite good about the whole, whole thing. And after the, the sessions were over, there was a gentleman that came up to me. I still remember. Uh, older gentleman with a goatee. And he came up to me and he gave, handed me a letter, you know. And he, this is what he said to me. He said, uh, Brother Benny, you read this when you get home. And I, I was quite happy because I thought, you know, it's a letter. Usually, it's either a love gift, you know, one of those Pentecostal handshake, and then you know, it got money inside, you know. It's a love gift, or it could be a letter of encouragement. So I took it gladly from him, and I said, thank you very much, and I went home. When I reached home, I eagerly opened up the letter to see what's inside, you know, but inside, oh yeah, no money. Okay, it was not a love gift. And it turned out that it wasn't also a letter of encouragement. In fact, it was a, a letter of Correction. <laughs> it was a rather long letter of correction where this gentleman introduced himself as a Bible college professor. And then he said to me that, uh, he pointed out to me that um, I should be more careful with the use of my tenses. My grammar was atrocious. You know, the language I used was terrible and all of that. And, and particularly one thing really irritated him was, okay, let me put it this way. What is the plural of fox? The plural of fox is what? Foxes. What's the plural of an ex? Exes. What's the plural of a, what's the plural of an ox? Oxes. No. Actually, it's not oxes. It's oxen. Okay, oxen. And that, what happened was, I was preaching out of Matthew chapter 28, verse 11, you know, about how you should be yoked up with Christ, like, like two oxen plowing the field, but I didn't know it was oxen. I thought it was oxes. And then throughout the whole 45-minute sermon, I was oxes here, oxes there. And this guy was cringing inside. He cannot, he cannot take it. And he was just, Ugh. he was so irritated by the whole thing. He couldn't hear what I was saying. You know, all he heard was oxes, oxes again, oxes again. And in the end, he couldn't help it. He sat down and wrote me this long letter telling me, you've got to be careful with your tenses. Uh, I tell you, but you know what was my first response when I read that letter? My first response was this. I said, voila, what does it matter? What's the big fuss? Why bother? Important thing is that God moved, right? Important thing is spirit was poured out, everybody repenting everywhere. Then you worry about eggs or oxen or what? Who cares? And that was my attitude then. I said, ah, I can't be bothered with this guy. I, but now that I've grown older <laughs> and I'm wiser, I actually am thankful. Out of hindsight, I realized what this brother has done is that he's done me a favor by actually help giving me feedback, helping me to grow, correcting me lovingly. I should have been wiser than, than to ignore that, right? I found out later that actually he was a very well-respected Bible college professor and, and psychologist. His name is Dr. Anthony Yeo. Uh, passed away already, you know. But, and, and you know, years down the road, I actually found this letter in, among my, my papers and I kept it, you know, right up to now to remind myself where I came from and how important it is for us to get correction and how important it is for us to correct one another. It's an act of love to be able to lovingly speak into each other's life. 
and, and when we receive this loving confrontation, I know it's not pleasant. Right up to today, I still get corrected on all these things, you know. My children is my number one English teacher. They're always telling me my words are wrong. Like last week, I say, blessed are those who moan. It's, thank God for Pastor Dave Wong, he corrected me. It's not moan, like it's mourn. <laughs> so every week I get corrected for stuff like that. You know, two weeks ago, I think uh, I used a Greek word and Pastor Dan Yen to come and correct me. Greek word was P-E-N-E-Z. You know, it's meant to be penis, but I say penis or something like that. <laughs> and he said, don't. And people correct me all the time. And some, some months back, I was preaching and I was using, you know, lingery here, lingery there, lingery here, lingery there. Later, I think it was Wen who actually kind of tell me, it's lingerie. Not lingerie. <laughs> I get corrected all the time. But you know what? I got a lot of practice now. <laughs> so I got used to it. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be able to take correction. How many of you agree with that? We take correction so that we can grow, you see. And when we receive loving confrontation, no, never pleasant. It can come with, with sorrow. But the Bible tells us godly sorrow brings change and life. Paul said, God, this sorrow brings repentance and it leads to salvation and brings no regret. Now, on a more serious note, can I say this? You listen to the Holy Spirit. Even if we realize that we have sinned in our mind, we cried over it in our heart, but we have not truly repented until we turn 180 degrees and we walk away from that sinful behavior. That's when godly sorrow is doing its work. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, not regret, but repentance. It's not just, I know I'm wrong and I feel it, but it is actually taking the action, turn 180 degrees and walk away from it in that opposite direction and we turn towards God. And then we will experience what the end goal of godly sorrow is for, which is the comfort of God. It's the comfort of the Holy Spirit and then the freedom of forgiveness. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is a Greek word, parakalio. The word para means alongside. In other words, it is the word comfort literally means to come alongside, to encourage, to, to actually give strength. See, when we truly have godly sorrow, the Holy Spirit then becomes our encourager and the one who strengthens us. The same word parikalio is used to describe the role of the Holy Spirit as the comforter. He's the one who then come alongside us. If we know that we are in need and we are broken enough to recognize it and we have that, that uh, brokenness to actually mourn over it, the Holy Spirit come alongside us and then He encourages us, pours strength into us so that we can experience His comfort. Godly sorrow brings repentance and leads to salvation with no regrets. I want you to know the Lord is near to those who are broken and have a contrite spirit, a heart that is broken over our sinfulness. Where is godly sorrow today? Do we still feel deep sorrow when we sin against God? I think as the world begins to understand more and more the grace of God, which is a wonderful thing, we must also watch that we do not end up taking sin lightly. It's something we need to be careful with. We cannot take sin lightly. We've got to deal with sin seriously. 
Jesus dealt with this seriously enough to go into Matthew chapter 5. He says, if the right eye causes you to sin, dig it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off. He's using hyperbole. That means he's using extreme to bring across the point, the seriousness of sin. Deal with it seriously. We cannot just, ah, I did it again. Sorry, ah, and carry on. No. Where is that brokenness? Where is the anguish in heart? That we have actually offended God. We have actually hurt people around us by the stuff that we do. We can't just say, ah, sorry, I did it again. No. It's just like people who always come late and they always say, sorry, I'm late. Hey, sorry, I'm late. Sorry, I'm late. But never, never come early on. Still late. How do you deal with people like that, right? Imagine God dealing with us. <laughs> sorry, Lord. Sorry, I did it again. And then carry on. <laughs> no. We need to take it seriously. When we truly repent, there will be godly sorrow, humiliation of heart. Because we recognize that this caused pain to God, to other people. You can't take that seriously. I think people are sorry for their sin, but they continue to do them because their hearts are not broken by their own sinful behavior. We don't see it, you see. We say sorry, and we have not come to a true realization of the impact of what we are doing to hurt God and to hurt other people. So it's not just a confession of our mouth. It is a contrition of our heart. That really matters. This is what happened to King David when he repented before God for his sin of adultery. He wrote Psalms 51. And I remember Psalms 51, 17 says, My sacrifice, O Lord, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Lord, you will not despise. God does not despise a broken and a contrite heart. Isaiah 66, verse 2, the prophet Isaiah said, These are the ones that I look on with favor is those who are humble, contrite, broken in spirit, and who tremble at my word. You take God seriously. Psalms 56, and let me end with this. Psalms 56, 8 has a beautiful verse where the psalmist wrote this. He says, put thou my tears into thy bottle, for are they not in thy book? A book always speaks of remembrance. You know, you take the tears, you put it in a bottle, and they are in, in a book of remembrance. You know, right? This, this is actually metaphoric because it is it's talking about something that still happens in Israel today. You go to Israel, you can go to the, uh, the shops, you can actually buy a little bottle. It's a glass bottle with a tip at the, at the end, and then it goes into a bottle. And so what the, peop- the Israelites would do is that if they have a loved one who's, who's gone through a tragedy or something like that, and they cannot be there with them to comfort them, what they'll do is they buy one of this bottle and they literally cry and they shed tears into the bottle. And then they send the bottle to their loved ones to actually let them know, I'm with you, I grieve with you. Okay, so this bottle is given for what? It's to comfort the grieving. It's to comfort those that are sorrowful. See, and, and the Bible tells, and the psalmist says, you know, put my tears into, the, into your bottle for are they not in thy book? When you and I mourn, Either through crisis or correction, God collects our tears, exchange them for His comfort. And I think that's what Jesus meant when He said, blessed are those who mourn, who who have anguish, who agonize over their sinfulness. For they shall be comforted. For they shall be strengthened. They shall be encouraged. 
the Comforter will come alongside us and lift us up when we truly come before Him broken. Are you in mourning today over a crisis, a situation, tough times you're going through, or through a correction, perhaps even right now, Holy Spirit convicts you of certain things that you need to break out of, things that you know you need to turn away from. This is a good time for us to say, God, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen. May God help us to see this. Let's stand together, shall we? Thank you, Lord. I invite you to just stand and Let's just take a few moments this morning and allow these values of the kingdom really invade our hearts. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I'd like us to just worship the Lord with this song. And then we let the Holy Spirit come and speak to us. Let the Holy Spirit come and do a work in us. Amen. Hallelujah. Lift your hearts to God and let's worship Him.